Hello, hello, beautiful people. I am Haley, I'm your guide to love. Welcome back. This podcast is all about holistic health, sacred sexuality, and spirituality. I have Cam Frazier here. He is a certified sexologist, a counselor, a tantric yoga teacher, and a male, a men's sex coach. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Haley. Yes, I'm so excited about talking with you because I love everything you're doing and we need more men that are doing the work. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm always looking out for, for other men in the space to connect with and, and to form some relationships with because, yeah, I'm, um, I needed a guy when I was, you know, going through all my sexual stuff and, uh, and I try and be that guy who I needed about five, 10 years ago. So it's, um, yeah, it's really, really nice to be having a platform to, to share a little bit of that knowledge and that story and to, yeah, and then to connect with others. Mm. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, sure. Sure. So my, I guess my, my story to be as concise um, and for the sake of brevity, my story starts, I suppose, in America. So I, I left Australia, uh, which is my home when I was 17 to go and study and play soccer and live uh, in the States. And my experience there was, was like enjoyable, but I was also you know, as an 18 year old without really any, um, any guidance in the realm of sexuality or health or masculinity. You know, I had no real like role models in that regard. I just slipped into the, the cultural narrative, the cultural standard narrative for what it means to be a young man. You know, I was, uh, I felt pressured into really being hypersexual and, and going out and partying and drinking a lot. You know, I was also a student athlete and I was playing you know, competitive soccer. So I had like the, the locker room kind of mentality as well of, of, you know, talking about women in a certain way and, um, and going out and trying to, trying to sleep with as many young women as possible. Um, and it was just like this really unhealthy way of expressing my sexuality and also of tapping into my masculinity. Um, so you can think of like all the, all the negative stereotypes of what it means to be like a young, uh, college aged man uh, that was pretty much what i what i was living and it was just doing me such a disservice that i was relying on alcohol to be sexual i was experiencing a lot of like um anxiety performance anxiety around my sexuality uh, i was you know self-diagnosed um premature ejaculation erectile dysfunction uh, yeah, the alcohol that i was drinking just wasn't helping and I just wasn't forming like relationships. I just wasn't forming healthy connections with, with women or really with men. The relationships I did have with men were just based on, on kind of superficial, superficial things. There was nothing really deeper about them. So I had this like cauldron of unhealthiness with regards to my sexuality and my, my masculinity. So it wasn't until I, I seriously injured my back and, um, and so I, I had to do like clinical rehabilitation for my, for my spinal injury. And part of that required me to go to Pilates, but also to yoga. And so through like my, my weekly and daily yoga classes, I was, I, I literally was slowing down. Like I, I was taught how to breathe. I was taught how to like connect to my body. And it was for the first time in my whole entire life, I reckon that I'd actually like listened to how my body was feeling. And there was just so much tension. There was so much tightness. There was so much emotional baggage just stored in my muscles. And, 
And I remember, you know, many times in classes, just all of a sudden spontaneously kind of starting to cry and just like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, this is weird. And so that was just, you know, so counter to what I thought it meant to be a man, which is to be like this stoic kind of unemotional detached person. Um, And so yoga started to like crack me open and started to like really help me understand that I had full control over my body through my breath, through my nervous system, through, you know, manipulation of my muscles through all of this sort of stuff. And, and so very slowly I started to see improvements in my own um, sexual performance. That was kind of the first way that things started clicking for me. I was like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, um, I'm I'm able to maintain an erection for longer now. And I'll, you know, because of the yoga and because of the rehab, I was drinking less. So I was seeing like a correlation there, you know, I was lasting for a little bit longer because I had control over my breath and I was like, wow, there's something to this. And then, you know, and so it wasn't like a, a kind of a shift or a switch overnight, but it was a, it was a gradual like, Oh, this is interesting. So I, I got interested in, into like Tantra, which is like, you know, um, related to yoga. And then through that, I was interested, uh, interested and introduced to like sacred sexuality. Uh, and I was studying psychology at the time as well. So I saw these neat, um, these neat associations between, you know, the spiritual and the esoteric and the, the psychological and the more academic side of, side of sexuality as well and yeah just kind of blossomed from there i just had this like really um really newfound passion for like psychology and sexuality um for like the the my my lived experiences as as a man as a male so like for the male bodied sexual experience as well that was something that i was like um starting to realize was that i i was focusing a lot on my partner's pleasure wasn't really focusing a lot of my pleasure was numbing myself out a lot so yeah, just kind of like over the course of the next couple of years, you know, that, that interest and that passion took me over to like Southeast Asia and India and South America and um, all the way back down to Australia where I finally studied, um, you know, at a postgraduate level sexology um, and then, and then got into counseling, uh, did a degree in counseling and then started working with people that had like sexual concerns, started realizing that you know, the, the information that I had and the experiences that I had resonated with some people so they were they were seeing results and then made the transition straight into to coaching was like feeling really limited by counseling and talk therapy thought i had this whole host of other modalities that i could draw from so i um i made the transition from counselor to coach and and yeah now specializing in in working with men i used to work with like a lot of women and couples as well and i thought you know what can i speak to with authority and that was like the male body the male lived experience so that's where i'm i'm niching now and um you know and i still i still probably i reach more people now that i found that niche of talking about you know male bodies and male anatomy and male sexuality because you know not only am i speaking to the men but also to the people that that sleep with the men as well right they they need to know they need to challenge their own stories about what it means to to have a masculine sexual partner or, or whatever whatever that means for them. So, so it's been amazing. It's been a pretty twisting, turning, winding journey, but, um, but, and it's, you know, marred by a lot of my own sexual insecurities, but you know, they, they say you, you teach what you most need to know. And um, that's pretty much what I did. You know, I, I needed to, I needed to overcome my own sexual stuff. I needed to overcome my own, you know, um, my own uh, insecurities around my masculinity. And, and now that's exactly what I teach. You know, it's, so it comes directly from lived experience and from, um, from education that I've had from many, many teachers. Mm. And I love that because I feel that same way with what I'm doing. And I think that that's 
you have more passion around that when you teach what you need to know. Mm, totally, totally. You can speak on it with, you know, with experience, with actual experience. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that we need to do the sexual work? Because obviously, I know you and I think that, I mean, without the sexual work, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. My life would be completely different. But mm. why do you think that the people listening, because a lot of people don't view the, the sexual work as much as a needed, um, you know, a needed part of their health as much as people in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess my opinion and uh, I've, I've heard others opinions, but my opinion is, you know, sexuality is inextricably linked to like who we are as a person to who we are as an individual. Mm -hmm. And I, I did a I did a TEDx talk a while ago, talk, pretty much talking about this why sexuality is important, and I offered this like uh, offered this analogy of like okay, sexuality and our sexuality, our individual unique sexuality, informs the way that we interact with literally every single person that we talk to. So we can think of it like you know family members, you know our sexuality or the the quote unquote lack of sexuality that we're supposed to experience and express informs the way that we talk to our family members. You know, same thing goes for um, you know, the, the priest or the reverend that we talk to on a Sunday or, um, or people that we're attracted to or people that we're not attracted to or our elders or people that are younger than us, right? Our sexuality is, is so linked to who we are as a person and how we show up in, in interactions with others that it, that it informs the way that we interact and the forms, the way that we talk to certain people that we talk to people that we're, we're, you know, aligned to or, or not. So, you know, it's, it's a core part of who we are as a human being. It's a core part of who we are as a, um, as a, as an, you know, this human animal. And there's so much because we're not openly talking about it on a constant day-to-day -day basis where we're, we're not educated about it. There's so much, myth and taboo and for a lot of people so much trauma around their sexuality and around their sexual identity as well so um yeah so that's that's why i think we need to do the work is because it's so a part of us as who we are as human beings um, and as individuals and there's also so much um can i swear yeah i say everything yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's just so much shit attached to it there's mm -hmm. so much like bullshit attached to our sexuality so um so yes, yeah, so that's why I think it's important to do the work because because it helps you become a, a fuller a, a fuller person in terms of like how much you understand of yourself. You know, if you if you're like a, here's another kind of analogy that I often you know lean on is like if you're if you're like pursuing something in business or if you're you know looking for for what you want um, you know in life and you don't really know what you want kind of in the bedroom or you don't really know what you want sexually, like if you don't know what your desires are, if you don't know what you, what you need, if you don't know what like turns you on and fills you up and makes you feel really like, you know, sexually alive, then you're going to struggle to find that in other areas of your life as well. You're going to struggle to know what you want in, in business. You're going to struggle to know what you want in family. You're going to struggle to know what you want in, in your spiritual life as well. So by getting to understand your sexuality, which is such an inextricable part of who you are, you're starting to really get to know, yourself getting to know your whole identity getting to know your whole um your whole like lived experience from that place of being like a sexual human being and that you know that can even extend to like if you're if you're asexual as well or if you're if you're aromantic or someone who like doesn't experience overt expressions of sexuality as well you, 
the more you explore that, the more you get to know who you are as a human being as well. And that also informs the way that you talk to people. That also informs the things that you ask for and, and the things that you desire. So, um, so you know, encouraging people to explore their sex, sexuality and to do the sexual work. I think there's like this stigma around like, oh, we're telling people to just be like overtly sexual all the time and to just be, just be over the top with their sexuality. It's like, that's not what we're doing at all. We're encouraging people to learn more about themselves. And, um, and yeah, so that's, you know, it comes up against a lot of roadblocks, but that's like, that's my personal opinion. Mm. I love that though, because I always go by the quote, who you are in bed is who you are in life. And that's similar to what you just said, mm. because I think that, you know, it kind of goes back to, you know, for me, I was in a career I didn't like in a relationship with her. And then I wasn't having orgasms either. And so it all went together. Yeah. But then yeah, I kind of totally. ate a lot and, and ate, you know, food was like my, my happy place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you seek pleasure out in like the little socially sanctioned you know, parts of our existence that you're allowed to like, we're pleasure seeking beings, you know, we, we, for the most part, you know, enjoy, enjoy things, you know, we have the capacity to enjoy things. So we, we seek out pleasure in, in ways that's socially acceptable. And oftentimes sex is not necessarily a socially acceptable way to seek pleasure out. So we go and um, we go and seek it out, you know, like use the example of food or we seek it out through shopping or we seek it out through whatever it might be, but we're, we want pleasure. You know, we, we need pleasure in our lives. Mm, so I agree with you. Okay. So this is something I've noticed a lot with people. How do people get rid of shame around their sexuality? Whew, what a question mm. for seven o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> so how do people get, get rid of shame around their, their sexuality? Well, like, you know, shame comes from, comes from others, right? So shame is like, is a, is a story that we've told ourselves that we're not not supposed to um, not supposed to do a certain thing or not supposed to feel a certain way or not supposed to experience whatever it is that we're experiencing because someone else has said that it's wrong right so if we think it's wrong if we think it's it's something that we shouldn't experience that's when we feel guilty for doing it but if we're feeling shame around it it's because we've heard from someone else that that's a that's a bad thing to do or that's a wrong thing to do so one of the ways we can start to get rid of shame or at least start to overcome it and work with it is to notice what those stories are, notice what those narratives are that someone or society or you know, our parents or whoever it is has told us about sexuality that is making us feel that shame. So it's like identifying what those stories are. So for a lot of people in general, like experiencing pleasure from your sexuality is like, is, is shameful and the reason why is because there's this like old paradigm story that you know you should only have sex uh to, to have children and that you know it's you know it's it's kind of like religiously influenced as well but there's this like whole narrative around and there's also a whole narrative around seeking out pleasure as well it's like pleasure is is self-indulgent or selfish and it's not something that you should you know, you know you're, you're wasting time you know if you're not being productive and pleasure is the opposite of being productive you know it's 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 um and so it's kind of like uh, this story is created around around you being this this bad person if you're if you're having sex and if you're having pleasure and especially when those two things are together so it's like okay let's identify where those stories have come from and then let's 
let's kind of break it down. Let's talk about why it's okay to pleasure, why it's okay to want to be, want to be sexual, to have sex. So it's like, it's like just counteracting or rewriting. You know, we can think of like narrative therapy in a sense. It's like rewriting your narrative around your sexual experience, rewriting your narrative around sexual expression. If for a lot of, for a lot of men, I suppose, and the men that I work with, um, and this is true in my own experience, you know, there's a lot of shame around, you know, deviating from the the norm of what it means to be a man in the bedroom, right? So men are supposed to be, you know, um, very stereotypically supposed to be dominant, supposed to know what they're doing, supposed to be penetrative, um, you know, supposed to be able to last as long as they can, supposed to have like a rock hard cock, and it's it's like this mm-hmm. very like linear way of Big viewing kiss. masculinity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Masculinity and sex, sexuality. Yeah. It's this, this like um, very narrow narrative. Yeah. And so if a guy, and this is you know, true for me, if a guy deviated from that at all, you know, and, um, and couldn't get it up or was a little bit more vulnerable or wanted to be a bit more sensitive or wasn't as penetrative, whatever it might be, then there'd be some shame that came up because he's not, not following what someone else, society has said, this is how you're supposed to be as a as a male in the bedroom or as a male expressing your sexuality so it's like okay now we've identified that story let's help you rewrite another story let's you know psychologically um mentally make this okay make this understandable that it's a, that it's it's fine to do um and that that can you know I, I said psychologically just then but it also can be like somatically it's like you know when you feel that shame how do you feel it in your body what do you notice do you tighten up do you constrict do you contract do you hold your breath all these things that like, you know, manifest that story in your body, manifest that shame in your body. We can work on it at a somatic level as well. It's like, okay, well, let's change your breathing. Let's open up your heart. Let's like relax the, relax the muscles. Let's do all these things not only psychologically, but let's do them all physiologically as well so that we can start to rewrite this new narrative for you and get you feeling comfortable rather than feeling shameful about what you're experiencing. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because I went to a period where I thought I was too sexual. I was like, oh, am I too mm. sexual as a woman? Mm. You know, that's a narrative. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and exactly the same for, for guys as well. There's this story around like, you know, being that creepy, overly sexual guy, you know, that's, that's inappropriate. And it's, and yeah, so there's this taboo around not being sexual enough, but also being too sexual. And it's like, <laughs> fuck, who, who put all I these rules win. on us? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a lose-lose situation most of the time. Mm. Yeah. But you know, that's one thing I've noticed too is doing this work and it's made me so thankful that I've done, that I'm doing this is because I look at men in a more compassionate way because mm. I think that, you know, our society, like what you're saying, puts so much pressure on men and the whole size thing and the performance. I'm like, no wonder why guys are under so much stress. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of men don't recognize it, you know, like a lot of guys just kind of, just kind of go through the whole, the whole process. They just kind of go through the motions and it isn't until, you know, and I suppose this is like what I've observed is like, it isn't until I start pointing things out to them around societal pressures and around performance anxiety that they start going, you know, that it dawns on them. They're like, Oh my fucking God, I've actually felt so much pressure. No wonder I'm not having a great sex. No wonder I'm not experiencing a lot of pressure. No wonder I'm you know, struggling to maintain an erection or coming too soon, whatever it is that's going on for them. It's like, you know, this, and, and that, you know, in the last year really dawned on me as well. Um, when I was doing some practices with Betty Martin and the whole wheel of consent, it's, it's, you know, as soon as you start doing that work, 
you start realizing, wow, I've, I've, I've like really conditioned myself or felt conditioned to, um, to act a certain way or to be a certain way, uh, especially sexually. And so that was true for me is overcoming that. But also I've seen it with the guys I've worked with is like, you kind of have to break that down and, and start to recognize that there is like this, this weird unwritten rules about how you're supposed to be. And if you don't live up to those, you, you start to, you know, you start to feel anxious and you start to feel a little bit, you know, um, a little bit, you know, shameful, guilty for not doing that. So, um, so yeah, a big part of my, my work has been to like kind of help guys recognize that, but then also to, to rewrite a new, a new cultural narrative for, for what it means to be, you know, a man in the bedroom. Yeah, definitely. Because I think that, um, and don't you think porn influences that a lot too, right? Yeah, I think, I think porn definitely influences it, but I also think media in general influences it. Right. So, you know, porn is, is kind of like this, the, the sexual cousin of Hollywood. And, Mm. and, you know, so once I start, you know, I guess like once I start pointing out to people the narrative around masculinity and the way that men are supposed to be sexually, that starts becoming recognizable in mainstream movies and TV shows and kids shows. And, you know, especially stuff around like size, like there's all this, there's all these like little clips that I found in, in Disney movies around like, you know, making fun of size in a, in like a sexual innuendo Mm. type of way. So so it's like, yeah, porn does have a big part to play in it, but then also just media in general that we're consuming has a big part to play in it. Mainstream media, just exactly the same as mainstream porn, is just pushing a mainstream narrative, right? So if we're starting to be critical about what we're consuming in terms of media, when we're going to start diversifying and starting to uh, starting to see variety and in, in, and and you know, breaking down of those cultural narratives, then we need to go and find non-mainstream media to consume. We also need to find, you know, the same thing is true. We need to find non-mainstream porn. So, you know, feminist ethical porn, um, you know, educational porn. I'm not against porn itself, but I am definitely wary of the narrative that it's portraying in a mainstream sense. Exactly the same way that we should be critical about mainstream media portraying that exact same narrative. So, um, so yeah, I, I, you know, although I'm not necessarily a mainstream porn advocate, I do sometimes think it gets a it gets a bad rap and it gets a lot of the brunt when we should be critically analyzing just media in general. Oh wow, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And I didn't even think about this until now because I've been out of that loop for so long. I don't watch any TV. <laughs> um, like I watch YouTube, but it's a lot of people in this realm: sexuality, mm-hmm. spirituality, health. So I'm kind of in a bubble. But you're right about that because. Even when you bring up the whole Disney movie thing, that is messed up to have the sexual endo on someone that's so little when they can't filter it. Mm, totally, totally. There's no, there's no like explanation about it. And if they're watching it with any adults, because a lot of adults feel uncomfortable talking about sex with their kids, there's no explanation around it. And so it just gets absorbed and just gets, you know, um, starts to create that narrative like so early. Yeah, definitely. Because before I had sex, I was terrified of it. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get pregnant. And then I might go to hell because I did it before I was married. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like... yeah that was um that was exactly the same as my like, you know, my education around sex, for example, was you know, I remember like one class in high school, uh, and I think it was like the the phys ed teacher, the PE teacher, like I think he drew the short straw, so he had to take the sex ed class, you know, the one sex ed class. He put on like a video. It was all about bloody, um, 
STIs and I, I think they were called STDs uh, back in uh, back in those days, but like mm-hmm. it was just like fear based. It was so like anxiety inducing and and like fear mongering with regards to like your sexuality. It was like don't have sex. You know that Mean Girls quote: "Don't have sex because you'll get pregnant and you'll die." That was pretty much like exactly the the experience that I had. And I was like, Fuck, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Like, I, what's what's in it for me? And 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 that was like the the experience for a lot of the young women that were that way I was kind of interacting with as well was like, fuck, you know, sex is this scary kind of like, um, you know, anxiety inducing thing. And, and like, especially like condom education, you know, condom education was all like, you know, you need to use condoms because if you don't, you'll run the risk of pregnancy and you'll get these STIs and like, and, and you'll ruin your life. And it was just like, Holy fuck, this is pretty intense. Um, and now that I've kind of like done the sexuality education work as well, I'm like, there's such a better way of telling young people to be safe around like their sexual experiences, you know, comprehensive sex ed, emphasizing pleasure. And like to take condoms as an example, it's like, what if we start telling kids, you know, start telling teens or whoever it is, you know, if you use a condom, you'll, you'll mitigate the chances of you uh, contracting an STI and, you know, and it's important to know what the STIs are so you can check for symptoms. But, you know, here's the important part is when you mitigate those chances and you reduce your risk you're actually alleviating some stress you know you don't have to worry about contracting those things or getting pregnant and when you reduce your stress and alleviate that tension in your body you actually experience more pleasure and sex is supposed to be pleasurable so if you're using condoms you might have to you might be experiencing better sex you know and, and because you're experiencing more pleasure because you're not you're not stressing out so much and you know, what if we started telling kids that, man, I think they'd be a lot more inclined to start wearing condoms. Um, if we told them they were actually supposed to enjoy sex and that condoms could help them do that. You know, there's, there's just such a, um, a need to reframe education around sexuality from being so fear-based to being pleasure, pleasure positive. Mm, yes. I love what you're saying. Yeah. Cause I think that it's better to speak about it way you're saying that instead of the other, where it's like, you do it, you're going to hell. You do it, you're getting pregnant. You do it, whatever. People are going to do it. We're all sexual beings. So why not say it in the way that you're discussing? Mm, mm. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just so weird. Like we've, we've kind of shut down sexual pleasure and, and, you know, there's this, there's this kind of, maybe it's like a conspiratorial kind of narrative, but it's like, um, you know, we're being, we're being conditioned not to be overtly sexual or to connect with our sexual energy or to connect with our sexual expression because, you know, like we've kind of established or discussed, if we are shut down in that area of our life, we tend to be shut down in other areas of our life as well. And we, mm-hmm. we don't seek out other things and we don't create, we don't express. Um, and so there's this like idea that we're being suppressed in, in, in our sexuality, being suppressed and shut down in our sexuality so that we don't, you know, rise up and overthrow the system and, and tap into our, you know, sexual autonomy and our sexual experiences um in that really expanded way so uh whether that's true or not we at least are talking about sex a little bit differently in in schools and to our kids and and to people in general that's for sure Mm. you do make a great point though because i do think that i always i mean obviously i don't know if this could happen in our lifetime but i always visualize like what would happen if everybody was t- tapped into their sexual energy and their sexual pleasure in a healthy way? Mm. The world would be completely different. Oh, 100%. I think one of my teachers used to say to me, you know, there'd be, 
no need for for violence or there'd be no, no wars if we if we we're all having great sex you know like there'd be no one would be dropping bombs on each other if we we're all getting laid you know that's mm-hmm. that's one of his favorite sayings and i think there's a lot of truth in that you know i think there'd be way way less conflict if we we're all really you know having these expanded states of orgasm you know if we're having these expanded orgasms and and huge amounts of pleasure Mm. Um, well i even think about it in terms of i love that point of view but even on the other side big pharma wouldn't exist because hello so many women on antidepressants if you're having orgasms you don't need that yeah totally totally like and and there's like this over over medicalizing or over like pharmaceuticalizing of of sexual like normal sexual function you know what i mean like yeah so many so many guys that i speak to are you know they ask me should i be taking viagra do i need to be taking cialis do i need to be taking levitra it's like the whole the whole narrative around that is like because i can't maintain an erection for like three hours and it's like man you're not you're not supposed to, mate. Like you, you don't need to. Like the, the pills themselves say, if you have a if you have an erection for longer than four hours, you need to go to a, a medical doctor. You know, and it's it's like just because your erection waxes and wanes, and you know, and you experience you know a, a, an alteration of that like really linear way of men men's experiences of pleasure, doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. You know, I think over the last after the last you know 15, 15 years, we've seen like this this trend in like over medicalizing sexual responses and sexual mm-hmm. functioning. And, and then, and then because of this kind of consumerist and, and instant gratification culture that we live in, that's just had this like uh, influx of pharmaceuticals to be like, here's a, here's a little blue pill that you can take. Here's this for your libido. Here's this for your functioning. Here's this for your orgasms, whatever it is. Here's this for your contraception. Here's this for your everything. And, and, and so I totally agree with you. Once we start tapping back into you know, natural, sexual experiences and natural sexual expression and a lot of that stuff will go um out the window mm, yes definitely and i think people are waking up to that now because you know you're in quarantine and there's this wave of consciousness that's happening um yeah yeah but i think there is a pill for female orgasm in there yeah, there's something out there. I've read something along those lines mm-hmm. for sure. I think there's like a, a female Viagra floating around, but you know, I tend to steer clear of, of advocating or talking about any of that sort of crap because a lot of it is not needed. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think it all goes back to to like listening to your body and getting the body like you can't or like no woman's gonna orgasm on command. <laughs> like, mm. yeah, yeah, and I think that like that's the that's a, a thing for men as well. It's like a lot of guys have asked me in the past, like, oh, what's a, what's a skill or what's a technique or what's a trick that I can do to like make my partner orgasm? And I'm like, well, man, like, firstly, you aren't the person that makes your partner orgasm. She makes herself orgasm yes. and you're there listening to her and helping facilitate that experience, right? It's not, you don't just give your partner orgasms like you're giving them a, a Christmas present, you know, that's not how it works. And so there's not like this one size fits all present that you can give to a woman to make her to make her experience an orgasm so i I kind of like have to break that down for a lot of guys because there's this there's this i suppose like ego attached to Mm -hmm. like their partner's pleasure and you know and there's and there's kind of evidence to to suggest that men feel more intimate if their partner's enjoying themselves um you know i I posted that recently uh, but yeah but there's like there's this also other kind of the shadow side of that which is like guys feel better about themselves 
if their if their partners are, are having orgasms as well. So like there's there's this you know I guess light and dark to to the way that we experience pleasure with our partner. Is our pleasure is our partner's pleasure like affirming our intimacy for them, or is our partner's pleasure uh, affirming our our ego right and affirming our male male gratification? So it's like you know. What what does your partner's pleasure say to you? How is it interacting with your own experience of pleasure? Mm. Are you are you feeling like you're responsible for your partner's pleasure and that if you weren't there, they wouldn't be experiencing anything? Or is your partner's pleasure their own and your pleasure your own and you're sharing in that experience, that pleasurable experience together? Like what's what's the way that you're framing? And I think that's really important for a lot of men as well. Yeah, no, I agree with that because I was just thinking about the post that I did earlier today about how it's not, you know, it all goes back to it's it's the woman's responsibility to figure out what what she likes and what she doesn't like, and and that it's a lot of shame too. I remember I worked with a client once that the thought of like masturbation or self pleasure was like a big turn off for her. Mm. And I was like, well, hmm. How are you going to learn what you like if you don't even touch yourself? But it, there's so much shame around even women putting them, their finger up inside them. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like a lot of, a lot of like, and this is something that's been like um, come up for me on social media before is, you know, I talk about, you know, male masturbation and, and men self-pleasuring and, and tapping into their own sexuality. And, um, and I've had a few women kind of like reach out to me and say, Oh, Hey, you know, women masturbate too, you know? And, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm aware of that and I'm, I'm an advocate for that. And, and they're like, well, why are you talking about, you know, the way men are masturbating or, the, or, or for men masturbating more? And I'm like, well, because the, the way that men are masturbating and, and, you know, this idea that like, you know, we should be bringing women's masturbation to the same level of, of men's masturbation is, is like not going to help because men aren't masturbating in a very healthy way. A lot of men are, are you know, either, you know, and I've, I've speak, spoken to a lot of men about the way that they, way that they masturbate. You know, they're either sitting on a, on a computer screen and, um, and, you know, looking at, looking at something visual, one hand on a mouse, one hand on their cock, you know, hunched over on a chair, hunched over a, a laptop, or they're, they're sitting in bed or the couch, you know, with a hand swiping, you know, with one hand uh, and the, hand, the other hand on their cock. And, and again, they're being visual looking at something or like you know, standing up in a shower behind closed doors, you know, uh, in secret, you know, uh, going through the motions and just kind of, you know, um, jackhammering away in the shower. So it's like, yes, yes, men masturbate more, you know, or at least that's the kind of cultural narrative and we should be encouraging women to masturbate more but we shouldn't be encouraging women to masturbate the way a lot of men are masturbating because that's not helping. That's, that's doing a lot of men a disservice. So, you know, we need, we need to change the way self-pleasure and masturbation is, is encouraged and is talked about. And so like, that's, that's something that I'm really trying to get across to, to guys is like the way that you're touching yourself and the way that you're being sexual by yourself is going to be the way that you're being sexual with your partner. Like it doesn't magically change when you introduce another person. In fact, when we introduce another person, our anxiety can sometimes go through the roof. And so it can exacerbate any problems that are coming through. So, um, so if you're like, if you're, if you're you know, being friction oriented and just kind of like, you know, um, choking the chicken, so to speak, and, and, um, and, you know, focusing on ejaculation 
and like just being up in your head and, and closing your body down when you're self pleasuring, it's going to be exactly your experience when you start having sex with another person, you know, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be anxiety inducing. It's, it's not going to be super pleasurable. Uh, It's probably not going to be pleasurable for your partner. Um, So like, this is like, this, this is where the work done is, is, as you kind of mentioned is, learning your own body by, by touching your own, by touching your own body and by being in your own body and by experiencing your own, your own desire and your own sexual arousal by yourself. So that that way you can communicate it to your partner. Mm. I'm glad you said that there because I have noticed that how a lot of guys are like how they do that. And I don't think I agree how you said it isn't healthy because I've had experiences sexually where it's like, he's going so fast. I'm like, Whoa, I'm not even, halfway ready (laughs) you know Mm. um and so i think that that's always the big issue with men and women is women we take longer Mm. unless um unless they're ready to go dripping wet and then but most of the time that's not the case yeah yeah something i i shared recently on like a on a on a free webinar was you know in a heterosexual dynamic the way that men are masturbating for the most part is, you know, they go straight to their genitals, they go straight to their cock and then they start building, you know, a little bit of sexual energy that way. Um, And, you know, for a lot of women the way that they sell is not going straight to their genitals, right? It's building Mm -hmm. towards the genitals. And when we start, when we start, you know, interacting with our partner, because we're not, a lot of people aren't communicating, men will touch their women the way that, the man likes to be touched, right? So a guy will, when he's self-pleasuring, go straight for his cock. So when he starts entering a relationship and starts being sexual with a partner, he'll go straight for her genitals. He'll go straight for the vulva, he'll straight, straight for penetration. Uh, and you know, a, a woman who, who self-pleasures and masturbates by building towards her genitals, by taking a bit longer, by, by exploring her body, will then translate that into you know, the way that she's sexual with her partner and we'll do the same thing. Maybe we'll, we'll kiss his neck, we'll touch his shoulders, we'll be a bit more sensual and work, you know, um, and work towards the genitals like she does when she self-pleasures. And so what we get is we get a dynamic where pretty much what you've just shared, a lot of women are going, whoa, that's, that's too quick. That's fucking, mm-hmm. you know, whoa, slow down, you know, cowboy. And then we've got a lot of guys going, um, what the fuck are you doing? Like my cock's right here. You know, I'm, I'm waiting pretty much. And so we get this like discordance of, of, of how we're showing up sexually because we're touching our partner the way we like to be touched, not the way that they like to be touched. Mm. Right? So, so a good rule of thumb is to, is, is like for that heterosexual dynamic to, to, um, you know, a good rule of thumb for men is to work from the peripheries down towards the genitals. So like, you know, start at the toes and the top of the head and the fingers and work your way towards the, the vulva, towards the yoni. And for women to start at the lingam, start at the cock, start at the genitals and build out from there. Because men enjoy being touched sexually in other areas of their body. They just maybe don't do that when they're by themselves or they're not used to it or there's some fear around it um, because it's not quote unquote, you know, masculine. Um, so, so starting at the genitals to build that arousal and then moving it away, moving that pleasure away from the genitals into other areas of the body can be a really big, um, useful, useful thing for helping your man firstly slow down because he's not focused on his cock the whole time um, and experience more pleasure. And if he's experiencing more pleasure, he's going to be more attuned to your pleasure. So you're going to experience more pleasure. Um, and that's, yeah, so that's, that's like what I see happening in couples is, is them doing that. Mm, wow. 
That was so powerful what you just said. Like, <laughs> because that is so awesome. true. Because how many women are not even wet and then the guy tries to stick it in and she's like, whoa. Yeah, totally, totally. So it's like paying attention to the way that your partner likes to be touched rather than the way that you touch yourself. Yeah, and, and that takes communication as well because a lot of women, unfortunately, don't feel comfortable saying slow down, right? They don't feel comfortable saying, mm-hmm. no, I actually don't want you to be penetrative. Yeah, I want you to touch me here instead because there's still a taboo around asking for what you want. You know? and, mm-hmm. and, and we don't ask for what we want just in general. You know? so, so a lot of women, unfortunately, are taught to tolerate touch or tolerate a sexual experience rather than saying, no, I don't actually like that. Please do this instead. Or, yep. or it doesn't have to be that kind of brash, but it can be, can be, you know, a guiding into another, another sexual act rather than being penetrative. Uh, but that's, that's like not really encouraged of women, unfortunately. And, mm. um, and then there's no one also teaching us how to ask for what we want um, or even knowing what it is that we want. You know, a lot of, you know, there's a narrative around, okay, well, sex is supposed to be penetrative, right? And if you don't enjoy penetrative sex, then something's wrong with you. Like that's a pretty strong, cultural narrative for people because because our understanding or our definition of sex is so narrow that it's only like penetrative um and so if if, if you're not enjoying that then you know that can that can feel shameful because like oh something's wrong with me because i didn't enjoy that um and like you kind of alluded to a lot of women maybe are having are having sex when they're not aroused enough or when they're not wet enough or when they're not you know when they're not really desiring it because maybe they're just tolerating it um and so then they feel then they feel a bit of shame because they didn't have a really great time. Um, and so, and it just perpetuates this, this, this negative spiral of, of poor sexual experiences. Mm. Yeah. Cause that was me at one point where I just thought, huh, maybe it's not that great. I mean, I wasn't having mm. orgasm. It was okay. Um, I was in college. Everybody was saying it was so great. Um, mm. So I think that that is a huge thing because don't you agree with me? It's like, they say that women, like, I think men speak up more than women, right? For what they want? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I think like, I think f- in general, yeah, but there's like this idea as well that, um, and this came from my experience with like doing Betty Martin's work was mm-hmm. I was asking for what I used to want. So, you know, I was, was, you know, going for penetration, I was initiating, you know, explicit sexual touch, I was asking for these like overtly sexual things. And it wasn't until I did this work that I was like, holy shit, I actually didn't want a lot of that at the time. That was just what I was supposed to want. That's just what, you know, I, I was conditioned to think I should want when, I, when I'm sexual, because I'm a guy, right? Guys are supposed to be more sexual than women. Guys are, I'm inverted commas here, supposed mm-hmm. to be you know, more direct and they're supposed to be more assertive with their sexuality and are supposed to be more penetrative or whatever it is. And I was like, holy fuck, half the time or whatever percentage of the time, that's actually not what I wanted. But I just went along with that, you know, crossed my own boundaries, you know, um, crossed my own limitations. And maybe even, you know, because my partner might not have been speaking up, probably crossed her boundaries at some point as well, um, even though it wasn't spoken about uh, because I was just following what I'm quote unquote supposed to do as a guy. So, um, so even though, yeah, maybe on the, on the whole guys are asking for more of what it is they want. I think a lot of guys aren't actually tapped in to what they, what they really want, what they actually desire. They're just kind of going through the motions of what they think they're supposed to do. Mm, yes. I love what you just said. Yeah, that is, that is true. Because I think that, um, you know, the, I think a lot of guys too think they're supposed to have like really aggressive, like fast, like pounding sex. 
when really, what if they, maybe they've never had slower sex, but that's probably what they would like more. Mm, totally, totally. Yeah, because they've, they've watched a bunch of porn or they've, their mates have told them that you need to be really hard and fast and that's how women like it or whatever the fuck they've heard. And so that's what they ask for, you know? And, and then they're like, uh, if, if, that, if they didn't enjoy it, then they feel shame as well, right? Because they're like, oh, fuck, this is supposed to be really great. And maybe they came in the end. Maybe they had an ejaculation in the end. And, you know, we, we, I can talk about ejaculation all day. But, you know, that's a, a, ejaculation is a quote-unquote signifier that a man's had a good time, you know, just because he's blown his load. You know, but, but there's so much more to male pleasure than just ejaculation. But a lot of guys aren't taught that. So they think, well, as long as I bust a nut, um, I'm fine. You know, that's, that, um, that, that means I've had a good time if I've come, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. so they, they go through friction, friction based sex, caveman style sex. Right. And, um, and, uh, and, and then maybe if they had a little bit of pleasure, they're like, yep, sweet. That was great. Yeah. That's all sex really is. But if they, if they didn't enjoy it, or if they think that there's more to sex, then they feel shame because like, that's, you know, that's, that's different from what I've been told, right? That's different from what I'm watching on porn. That's different from what the, the standard narrative is or the cultural narrative is, is around heterosexual sex. Mm. Yeah, that is definitely true. And I wanted to ask you this question as we're uh, winding down here. What is your thoughts about semen retention? Are you pro? I, go, I hear mixed. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it can be a controversial, controversial topic. But my, so my personal practice, and this was informed by my own experiences and my own experimentation with longer periods of retention versus shorter periods versus ejaculating as often as possible. So I did a lot of experimenting my own, um, with my own body. Uh, and also from like reading a lot of literature around, you know, the chemicals that are released, ejaculatory and all that stuff as well um my personal practice is once a month um of of ejaculating so i'll uh, and i'll try and sync up my ejaculation with uh, the phases of the moon as well so i'll often try and like connect back to nature in that regard as well and and do a what i'll call like a conscious ejaculation or an or 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 a, or a consecration or a or a ejaculation ritual with my partner or by myself on a full moon um and the and so like that, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a proponent of like going much longer than a month. I don't think you see much more benefits of the ejaculation retention practice by going longer than four weeks. Um, and, and I definitely don't advocate for ejaculation like two, three times a day. Uh, so I often tell, tell men if they've never done any type of ejaculation retention before, I say, look, experiment with, with not ejaculating for a week. Right. And they go, Oh, what, what? I can't, you know, I can't have sex. Or I can't masturbate. It's like, no, you can have sex, you can masturbate, you can self-pleasure, you're just taking ejaculation off. Because there's this like really strong signifier of what ejaculation is. It's like, well, I masturbate so that I can ejaculate. I'm like, yeah, exactly. What about if you masturbate so that you can connect to your body so that you can build pleasure in other areas of your body? So by taking ejaculation off the cards, you're able to explore more of what your pleasure looks like. And especially with your partner as well. A lot of guys, you know, um, and a lot, of, a lot of women as well are like, um, you know, let's just get you to come as quickly as possible so that sex can be over. You know, if the sex oh. is terrible, you know, there's like this, uh, yeah, I can make him, I'll just make him come quicker and then, yeah, we'll be, we'll be over and done with. It's like, okay, let's take ejaculation off the table and let's focus on, on other areas of the sexual experience. Let's focus on pleasure. 
right? So I'm not saying that ejaculation can't be pleasurable. I'm just saying it's like only a small part of our, of our whole sexual experience. So, um, so by, by experimenting, by taking ejaculation away, you can focus on so many other things. Um, and then there's the whole idea that, you know, ejaculation and orgasm are two separate experiences. So like a lot of guys would go, Oh, so I'm never going to orgasm again. It's like, no. And I think there's a lot of like Tantra teachers that do say you shouldn't ejaculate like ever again. You know, there's, Mm, yeah um i think there's a a middle ground that that needs to happen um but it's like it's like look if you if you do these practices and you learn how to separate and disentangle ejaculation and orgasm well then you can have sex and self-pleasure and and as many times as you want and have as many orgasms as you want and then choose like i do to ejaculate you know consciously and and to use ejaculation and and i can talk about the energetics of it as well uh but you know to, to use it as a tool for um for 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 your body for your functioning and um and to to like really tune into your body and tune into how you know ejaculation affects you and to to take time to cultivate that so um so like i'm i don't i don't advocate for coming every day and i also don't advocate for never coming in i advocate a conscious ejaculation practice where you're fully aware of how ejaculation affects you you're fully aware of the energetics of it uh, and, um, and you do it on a semi-regular basis. And oftentimes I'll say, you know, try and sync it up with nature as well. So whether it's with the phases of the moon or whether it's, you know, um, on a, on a, on a weekly basis, something, you know, that you do on a, on a Friday night where it's intentional rather than just kind of going through the motions and just, and just, you know, jerking off until you climax, like, you know, the old paradigm of male sexuality often just encourages. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I really like that you said that. And then what about too, because I've heard this from mixed people that I've interviewed. Do you believe that when you have sex with someone, you literally absorb their energy? Yeah, so I have heard this before. Um, I don't know if you absorb their energy. I think like, you know, firstly, you've got to be mindful that if you're, if you're engaging in any type of interaction with a person, there is an exchange of energy. You're sharing some type of experience. You're sharing some type of energy, but like, you know, this whole absorbing, you, you absorb all of their energy when you're being sexual. I also think kind of rings to me. I've been in like, you know, conservative circles, kind of rings of like fear mentality, Puritan style, you know, you shouldn't have sex or you should be so careful when you have sex because you can absorb all this sort of stuff. So it kind of like has this mm. air of like, um, of fear, fear mongering to it. So, um, so I've written, I've written posts like debunking this, um, this idea that women retain the DNA of every man they've slept with. Like I've, I've debunked that, um, on my social media before. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, but there's like, I think there is truth to energy, but I also think you need to be mindful that like, you know, you don't just carry around people's energy like all the time, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's ways that you clear energy, whether it's, whether it's um, unconsciously or intentionally, like we're always shedding energy. We're always clearing energy. Yes. We hold on to some, stuff, we also hold on to our own stuff as well. Um, so like there's, you know, there's, there's more of a conversation to be had. So no, I don't think every time you have sex, you absorb that other person's energy. I think there's a bit of an energy exchange, um, but there's also ways of, of clearing. And there's also ways of, um, of like allowing energy to be released and, and to, to, you know, to have some sovereignty over your own body as well. So there's um yeah, so I think there's more, and that, that goes into a whole different conversation around like, what are the energetics of sex? What are the energetics of orgasm and, and ejaculation and, and all that sort of stuff. So 
Um, so yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I just think it's a bit fear mongering and anxiety inducing to, to kind of say that. Yeah. And there's already enough anxiety around sex as it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. Exactly. Like, well, do we have to add more? Cause I went through that period where I first started studying uh, sacred sexuality and spirituality too. And I was like, Oh, so does that mean I'm absorbing like all of his fear and anxiety? And like, that's a lot. Mm. But then a lot of those spiritual people, they really do believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, if that's, if that serves them, then, then fine. But if it's, you know, if it's creating fear and anxiety in you, then, you know, I would say revisit that belief. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. So what takeaway, like, I know we discussed a lot. (laughs) Um, What would you want to leave everybody with? Oh, what would I want to leave everybody with? Um, I guess my general message for people is to, is to be curious, is to be playful and is to, you know, is to take your, take your sexuality less seriously. You know, sex is supposed to be pleasurable. Your self pleasure, as the name suggests, is supposed to be pleasuring to yourself. So be open to exploring what you find pleasurable, be curious and non-judgmental about what you find pleasurable and you know, give yourself that permission to be curious and to, to be open-minded and to be exploratory um, with your pleasure. So that's, that's just my general message for people. I love that. Yeah, I agree. Like it's supposed to be play, like playtime, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. That's good that you said that. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Well, where can everybody find you? You can find me first and foremost through Instagram. It's where I share like all my educational informational content. That's at the cam Fraser. And um, yeah, from there you can head to my website, which is www.karmawellnessperth, which is K A M A wellness Perth. Karma is like one of the four pillars of, of like the spiritual tradition of Hinduism which is all about desire and lust and like sexuality. Uh, so um, named my business after that. So that's karmawellnessperth.com. Uh, and I've got like, all my courses and how you can reach me to do any type of coaching or whatever it is that you're looking for um, through my website. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I know people got so much value from this. I'm so excited to hear the feedback. Everyone awesome. be sure to subscribe, like, share my podcast. Um, comment below, let us know what you thought on this episode. Cause I thought it was, it was definitely an important topic. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, you're welcome. All right. Well, we'll see you later. Bye everybody.